Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Victor's Corner for Sunday, August 11th, 2019. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, one half of the Codex Prime podcast. And today's episode, I'm going to be highlighting uh, 10 standout films of 2019 so far. Now, these are these are the films that I haven't had a chance to review on the main show. Uh, however, I wanted to take some time to highlight uh, these 10 films in particular. So these are films that um, have received either limit, limited release in theaters. There's a couple of mainstream releases here. And uh, these are films that are well worth checking out. And before I get into those recommendations, I do want to uh, highlight some quick mentions of some additional film recommendations that I did review on the show uh, recently. So if you're looking for some interesting films that came out this year, uh, some quick ones you can check out include uh, Mads Mikkelsen's Arctic, uh, Booksmart, which was directed by Olivia Wilde, Fast Color, High Flying Bird, which is on Netflix, uh, Jordan Peele's Us, The Wandering Earth, also on Netflix, Ruben Brandt, Collector, High Life, starring Robert Pattinson, Midsommar, Missing Link, The Perfection, another Netflix film, Shazam, uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and last but not least, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, uh, which I reviewed on episode 172, and that's coming out on Blu-ray on August 27th. So that's, that's actually one of my absolute favorite films this year. And that will make my top 12 as well. So once the once the Blu-ray comes out on August 27th, I encourage anyone and, every, and everyone to give that film your attention because that is truly one of this, the, the real standouts of this year. But all right, let's get into uh, the first film on my list of standout films this year. And this one just came out in theaters and it stars Aquafina. And it's called The Farewell. And this is uh, written and directed by Lulu Wang. And in this film, uh, Aquafina plays a, an aspiring writer named Billy. And in this film, uh, Billy's family uh, learns that her grandmother has terminal lung cancer. And so the rest of her family decide to conceal this diagnosis from Billy's grandmother. And in order to do this, Billy's family flies all the way to all the way to China to plan and, and host a wedding for Billy's cousin. And the idea is to host this big celebratory family gathering that will give everyone an excuse not to tell Billy's grandmother the, the truth about her health. Now, Billy, she disobeys her parents' request to stay home in New York City. So she decides to fly out to China on her own to spend time with her beloved grandmother while wrestling with whether or not to tell her grandmother the truth about what's really going on. And so Lulu Wang writes and directs this lovingly crafted story that is actually based on a similar real-life situation that her own family went through. And much like Billy's family in the film... Uh, Wang's family also chose to withhold the truth of her grandmother's cancer diagnosis from her in order to prevent her from experiencing despair, fear, anger, and all of those emotions that comes with such news. And now this kind of situation might sound out of the question for some, and certainly in, the, in, in America, it's illegal for a physician to conceal the truth of, of, of a patient's diagnosis. But 
the farewell succeeds in not making us, the viewers, side with or against the family, or even Billy. Rather, the film demonstrates such emotional intelligence and empathy, and it enables us to understand where everyone is coming from in this situation, and to see the reasoning behind their decisions, which are rooted in cultural traditions as well as, as, well as deferring cultural perspectives on life and family. Now, Aquafina does terrific work in this film, and watching her display her dramatic chops is a joy. And she has this natural, easygoing charisma on screen, and I do look forward to seeing her in more leading dramatic roles. But the standout performance of The Farewell goes to Shuzhen Zhao, who plays uh, the grandmother the matriarch of the family, and Shuzhen Zhao is so natural and so lovable that her performance doesn't even feel like she's acting at all. It's as if Lulu Wang simply asked her actual grandmother to just be herself in front of the camera and let the professional actors you know, perform around and with her. And I wouldn't be surprised, but I would also be pleased if uh, Zhao received some awards recognition uh, for her work in this film, as she should. Uh, so The Farewell is currently playing in theaters now, and I highly recommend everyone to check that film out. Uh, number two on this list is Fighting With My Family. And this is a film uh, written and directed by Stephen Merchant, and it's a fictionalized ret retelling of Paige's journey to and rise in the WWE. And Fighting With My Family is this entertaining crowd-pleaser of a movie that hits all of the right notes. And Florence, and, and Florence Pugh, who also starred in this year's Midsommar, she stars as Soraya Knight, also known as Paige, who has dreams of becoming a wrestling star in the WWE. And Paige's brother, Zach, also has his, has his eyes on the WWE prize. And their parents, uh, who are the rough-and-tumble couple Julia and Patrick Knight, who are played respectively by uh, Lena Headey and Nick Frost, they also encourage their kids' ambitions about, being re about being, becoming wrestlers, since they are wrestlers themselves in their native Norwich, England. And in the film, we see Paige's journey and struggles from trying out for the WWE, making it to the Performance Center in Florida, battling homesickness, and as well as the pressure to impress her hard-ass, no-nonsense trainer, who was played by Vince Vaughn, and also the growing jealousy and resentment of her brother, Zach, who was passed over during the WWE tryouts. And Stephen Merchant does a remarkable job of pulling us into this wild world that these characters inhabit, and we share their joys, their pains, and their triumphs throughout the film. Now, since this film is presenting Paige's story with, with the lens of an underdog film narrative, we don't see her rise in NXT when she became the first NXT Women's Champion. And although we do see her challenging AJ Lee for the Divas Championship in the film, and AJ Lee is played by Zelina Vega, there, this is also played, played out somewhat differently in the film. For example, Tamina is nowhere to be found, and plus Vega's AJ Lee doesn't have the same in-ring attire as the real person. But these are ultimately minor points. And Fighting With My Family is well worth checking out if you're a WWE fan, a wrestling fan, or just a fan of engaging underdog stories. And like I said, Florence Pugh does a fantastic job as Paige. And this year is truly her year in, in terms of interesting film projects. And so Fighting With My Family is available on Blu-ray.
And uh, the third film on this list is this interesting uh, crime slash um, family slash ethno ethnographic uh, drama called Birds of Passage. And Birds of Passage was directed by uh, Ciro Guerrera and Christina Gallego. And this is a fascinating this is a fascinating film that chronicles the rise and fall of, of an indigenous YU family during the early days of the Colombian drug trade from the late 60s to the late 1970s. And Birds of Passage follows a man named Rapayet, who at the beginning of the film announces his intentions to marry a young woman named Zaida. And, and Zaida's mo mother, Ursula, who's the matriarch of their of their particular tribe, uh, she thinks that Rapaya doesn't have enough money to secure this bounty, so she demands him to secure a dowry of of goats and cows, which is their bread and butter, you know how they make their living. And and you know uh, Zaida's mother, uh, Ursula, doesn't think that Rapaya has what it takes to secure such an expensive uh, dowry, but he does. And it turns out how he does it is because he tapped into a very lucrative and very dangerous business that would eventually ensure the gradual decline of, of their families and their people. And so Birds of Passage is divided into five chapters which depict the family's entry and economic success into the drug trade and how it gradually tears apart everyone involved. And a prominent theme in Birds of Passage is how the strong traditions, values, and beliefs of this particular YU family clashes with the more individualistic capitalist values of the outside world. And this is not a. This is certainly not a glorified depiction of the Colombian drug trade, like say Narcos on Netflix, but rather it's a tragedy that unfolds in slow motion. And you see how, you know, this family they they gain all this enormous success economically by you know entering the drug trade in Colombia, but you do see how it transforms their collective values, their collectivist values, and how they become more individualistic over time, and just how it just tears them apart ultimately. So it's a very real, so a very realistic uh, depiction of what the, what the Colombian drug trade did for many families who got involved at the time. Um, so Birds of Passage, it's a distinct feature. I recommend people checking that out as well. That film is available on Blu-ray. Number four in this list is a film starring Tessa Thompson, and it's the directorial debut of Nia DaCosta, and it's called Little Woods. And Little Woods tells the story of Ollie, played by Tessa Thompson, who's a woman who has just a few days left on her probation. And Ollie was caught legally, illegally crossing the border between North Dakota and Canada. And she's uh, smuggling prescription drugs from Canada to sell to people in North Dakota because, you know, our healthcare system is a joke and pills are super expensive for no damn reason. And, you know, people gotta, people literally have to empty out their life savings just so they can have enough medicine to survive. So Ollie's trying to fight that by smuggling prescription drugs across the Canadian border to, you know, people that need it. And so Ollie, she has her eyes on leaving her small town behind to work in Washington state. So she's doing all these odd jobs to make ends meet while trying to save as much money as she can, while also trying to stay out of trouble because she only has a few days left on her probation. 
However, she does run into a number of obstacles, including her sister, Deb, a single mother who's now pregnant with her second child and needs Ollie's help. Now, all the while, the the temptation for Ollie to slide back into drug smuggling looms over her head constantly. Now, as with similar films that center people on the margins of society, such as 2008's uh, Frozen River and last year's Leave No Trace, two excellent films, by the way, Little Woods is a solidly crafted film told with deep empathy. And Nia DaCosta writes and directs a film that is grounded in small stakes that naturally grow to become increasingly insurmountable for the characters. And nothing here in the film feels contrived or convenient. Every step of the way, I was fully engrossed in Ollie's struggle to fight from under when everything, where everywhere she turns is a pitfall that makes it all too easy for her to be victimized again by the system. And Tessa, Tessa Thompson is a compelling lead in this film. And she continues to start the, making these interesting, artistically sound productions, like, for example, Sorry to Bother You, which came out last year. Uh, Lily James, who plays her sister Deb, also delivers fine work as a character who, like Tessa Thompson's Ollie, is trying her best to forge light from the darkness of her own circumstances. Uh, Little Woods is available on DVD, and if you're a fan of Tessa Thompson or just great, very good storytelling, just please check out Little Woods when you can. Uh, number number five on this list is Her Smell. Hmm. Now, Her Smell is written and directed directed by uh, Alex Ross Perry, and this film stars Elizabeth Moss. And in this film, uh, Moss stars as Becky Something, who's the lead singer of her punk rock group, Something She, which includes her friends Ali Vanderwolf on drums and Marielle Hall on bass. And from the word go, Elizabeth Moss delivers a whirlwind of a performance that runs the emotional gamut, riding the wave of self-destruction as her mood ebbs and flows from jubilant to aggressive, supportive to verbally abusive, warm and sweet to cold and bitter. And Becky is a hot-ass mess. She's battling drug addiction while attempting to help raise her child, and all the while... Her ex-husband, her bandmates, and her manager, they're trying to steer her straight, but it's kind of like Goldberg trying to suplex the Undertaker, you know, at that in that awful crown jewel match while dealing while dealing with a concussion. You know, it's unstable and it's unwieldy, and pretty soon things are just gonna fall apart and everyone's gonna get hurt. So her smell is alluring in its portrait of a combustible, irascible individual who is their own worst enemy. And Elizabeth Moss's performance is the main draw of this feature. And the supporting cast plays an essential role in serving as contrasts and foils to Moss's unstable rock star. For example, Howard Goodman's role as the band's manager shows a guy who has vast quantities of patience, but who realizes that his tank is about to run on empty because... Elizabeth Moss's character, Becky, something really tries it throughout. Uh, Becky's bandmates, uh, played by Gail Rankin and Agnes Dane, have to contend with either sticking with their band or supporting their troubled friend or perhaps walking away for their sake of their own well-being. And I also appreciated how the film, uh, right at the start, just throws us right into the midst of Becky's drama backstage during, during a performance, and the camera work conveys a, a sense of immediacy as if you were an observer backstage wondering how to pull everything in order. 
Also, uh, there's a character in this film uh, played by Eka Darville. And Eka Darville, you may know as Malcolm from Jessica Jones. And <laughs> Eka Darville plays a shaman who is also exerting this unusual degree of influence on Becky's state of mind, which does nobody else any favors. So his character is the shaman who's like, you know, sort of like this really weird new age, just preaching some some phony new agey nonsense. And he's clearly phony. He's clearly taking advantage of this, this troubled woman who's, you know, mentally not all there, emotionally not all there. And you, and you clearly see that this shaman is just taking her for a ride. And, and now that's another element that the rest of her bandmates and her manager and her ex-husband have to have to deal with. Um, and on a side note, you know, watching her smell, I would really like to see Elizabeth Moss offer her own version of the Joker. Never mind Harley Quinn, because you know Harley Quinn is 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 a compelling character in her own right. But given what Elizabeth Moss uh, delivers in her smell, I would really like to see her own interpretation of the Joker, because I was getting some strong, uh, you know, some some strong like Heath Ledger slash Nicholson vibes from her from her performance at times. So just picturing Elizabeth Moss in the Joker makeup and just her delivering her own take that might be worth something. That might be something to see. In fact, maybe that maybe DC can actually maybe. Maybe make, maybe make another Elseworlds-esque film, much like they're doing with the Joaquin Phoenix version of The Joker, which is coming out in October. But that's just something on my mind. Uh, Her Smell is available on Blu-ray, DVD, and it's also streaming for free via Canopy. Uh, number six on this list is a film called The Mustang. And The Mustang stars Matthias Schoenartz as Roman Coleman, a convict who has been in prison for 12 years. And Roman is this quiet, insular, and tightly wound man whose temper can jump from zero to 60 in a heartbeat. And Roman is not a- about people at all. And he steadily refuses to be reintegrated back into society. And so Roman is placed into this rehab program, which involves taking care of wild Mustangs, and where the inmates train and tame these wild horses to be bought and sold at auctions. And at first, Roman faces difficulty in training the Mustang he's assigned, and his outbursts of rage aren't really helping helping anything. So, you know, here's a pro tip. You know, if you're trying to calm your horse down, don't punch it like a speed bag, like Roman does in this film, just saying. But, you know, over time, over the course of the film, Roman takes to the training more and more, and he and his horse slowly develop a sort of bond. But of course, outside factors come in to shatter whatever tenuous peace Roman is achieving. And uh, the Mustang was directed by uh, Laura de Claremont Tonnerre, and she was inspired to make the Mustang based on actual prison rehabilitation programs that are centered around animal therapy treatment for inmates. And so this film is infused with a deep sense of compassion and Matthias Schoenartz is fantastic here. And his character is always teetering on the precipice of violence. And throughout the film, you come to empathize with Roman as he begins to address, in his own way, his own tortured emotions. Uh, Jason Mitchell, who's also in the film, he also lends a more gregarious presence as a fellow inmate who helps you know, show Roman the ropes. And Bruce Dern 
also plays this ordinary horse trainer who's too old to take your bullshit, young man. <laughs> you know, speaking of Bruce Dern, he was also in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as well as The Hateful Eight, and also this really, this really remarkable film directed by Alexander Payne called Nebraska, which came out in 2013. And I really like seeing Bruce Dern in these films. Like he's just this. He, he not only he, not only is he, is he such a great actor, but I like these later roles he's been taking where he, he's this old ordinary guy. He's not he's not about that bullshit. He's not about suffering fools greatly. And just watching him on on screen is just just one of those little joys as a as a film gore as as a film you know buff. Um, so if you're interested in in a great great performances uh specifically one from matthias schoenartz who's a who who has such screen presence um there's also another film he did um i think it was with uh, marion cotillard uh called rust and bone that's a film where where he definitely delivered as well and i would like to see matthias schoenartz do more of these interesting leading roles that are outside of the margins of you know big budget uh films um so yeah watch watch the film for his performance as well as the 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 supporting performances from jason mitchell and bruce stern uh the mustang is available on blu-ray and dvd uh number seven on this list is a chinese film that that came out earlier this year in the state in the u.s it's called ash is purest white and Ash is Purest White is a Chinese film written written and directed by uh, Jia Zhangqi. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Jia Zhangqi. And it focuses on the relationship between uh, Kiao, who's the girlfriend of a mob boss named Bin. And together, Kiao and Bin hold a lot of sway over a rural mining town that has fallen onto hard times, with Kiao's father now unemployed. And after a series of events that upends everything for the couple, Kiao is arrested and spends five years in prison. And when she's released five years later, she immediately sets off, sets off to look for Bin, who has since moved on. However, Kiao is still about that criminal life, and she's going to find answers no matter what. You can't tell her nothing. Now, Ash's Purest White is a subtle drama that is led primarily by uh, Zhao Tao's strong performance as Kiao, who's a woman whose somewhat demure demeanor belies a steely determination. Uh, Liao Fan's turn as Bin also yields some layers as well, a self-assured streetwise leader who endures his own set of tribulations. Now, those of you who are looking, looking for an engaging character drama should check this film out. Uh, Ash's Purest White is available on Blu-ray and DVD. Number eight on this list is a, is, a, is a film that I really, really enjoyed, and I'm so glad that I had a chance to see it twice. And it's an Icelandic film. Uh, it's called Woman at War. And Woman at War is a real unique treat, and it's directed, directed by uh, Benedict Erlingsson. And it's an Icelandic comedy drama which stars Halador Gaihard's daughter, Dartir. I know I butchered that name. I'm sorry, people. Uh, she stars as Halla, who's a choir director and vigilante environmental activist who secretly wages a one-woman war against a local aluminum plant. And Halla uses a bow and arrow to cut and take down the aluminum plant's power lines, and she also evades the authorities afterward. 
Now, meanwhile, while she's doing her vigilante thing, Hala is also trying to adopt an orphan child from Ukraine, which has finally been approved after a substantial amount of time. And so now Hala has to figure out how she can continue her secret and illegal vigilante pro-environmental activities while preparing to raise a child. Now, like I said, like I said at the beginning, I really enjoyed Women at War a whole lot uh, from uh, Halidora's endearing performance as the main protagonist to the diegetic music score, which is provided by a band that Hala and we, the, the viewers, see, except for everyone else in the movie. And it's such an, it's such an interesting thing. Like you see this band that uh, only Hala can see, and they're performing all the music that you hear in the film. And there's also this uh, chorus of three women that also provides some vocals as well that, again, only Halla can see and us, the audience. And I thought that was a really interesting artistic choice that uh, Benedict Erlinson uh, uh, made uh, in the film, which kind of lends the film its, its, its unique quirks in, in the comedy jo- drama uh, genre. And like I said, the comedy in this film is genuinely funny. And the weirdness of the movie cleverly balances its themes of environmental concerns versus corporate interests. And I would be really interested to see in seeing more films by Erlingson in the future, as well as by this main actress as well. Uh, Woman at War is available on Hulu. So for those of you who do have Hulu, I recommend checking that out whenever you have the chance. And so we'll, uh, we'll wrap up with uh, two more films on this list. Uh, these two films are documentaries, which just came out this year. Uh, the first, first of which is Apollo 11, which is directed by Todd Douglas Miller. And this year, 2019, marks the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing, which was achieved by Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. And Todd Douglas Miller's documentary, Apollo 11, is an extraordinary look into the entirety of this monumental mission, which was told entirely in crisp, restored 70-millimeter archival footage and audio taken entirely from the NASA team during this endeavor, from the pre-planning stages of the mission to the launch, the space flight, the moon landing, and the return to Earth. And Apollo 11 is is a spectacular documentary and watching just how one of humankind's greatest achievements was accomplished is a true sight to behold and another great element of the documentary is this electronic score provided by matt morton which also lends additional gravitas to the film and apollo 11 would also be an excellent companion piece to last year's film first man which stars ryan gosling and claire foy uh, on a side note, uh, First Man also also has an excellent musical score by Justin Hurwitz, which is my favorite film score of 2018. Uh, Apollo 11 is available on Blu-ray as well as Hulu, so please check this film out if um, if you like to learn about the you know the the moon landings, the Apollo 11 mission, and just watching just one of mankind's greatest achievements captured on film. And the 10th film on this list, last but certainly not least, is another documentary uh, directed by Peter Jackson, uh, who you know from Lord of the Rings. And his documentary is called They Shall Not Grow Old. And this documentary is comprised entirely of archival footage of the men who served and fought in World War I just over 100 years ago. 
But what makes this film extraordinary is that the footage is painstakingly restored and colorized, which provides the most vivid and unforgettable glimpse into a conflict that changed the course of world history. And all the voiceovers that you hear in the film are provided entirely by the men who survived, courtesy of the BBC and Imperial War Museum archives. Um, additionally, modern sound effects were included to evoke a greater sense of immediacy as well as the visceral experiences of the soldiers. Uh, Peter Jackson and his team, uh, they reviewed hundreds of hours of World War I footage, and what he and his team have achieved in this documentary is absolutely incredible. Uh, they Shall Not Grow Old is History Made Alive, which is far removed from the state and stately retellings of events past. Now, in restoring the archival footage of the Great War to the extent that this film does, it enables one to realize that what is considered history from a long antiquated, antiquated age is, in fact, still connected to our world today in ways far deeper than we realize. Um, to, quote a, to quote a refrain from 2008's video game Fallout 3, war, war never changes. Uh, they shall not grow old is available on Blu-ray, and if you're and if you want and if you want to see a true technical achievement in documentary filmmaking as well as just filmmaking as a whole, please check out They Shall Not Grow Old. So uh, to recap, so number one was The Farewell, number two was Fighting with My Family, number three was Birds of Passage, number four Little Woods, number five Her Smell. Number six, The Mustang. Number seven, Ash is Purest White. Number eight, Woman at War. Number nine, Apollo 11. And number 10, They Shall Not Grow Old. So those are the standout films of 2019, uh, by my estimation. Um, what are your favorite films of this year so far? Hey, let us know uh, in the comments, as well as uh, via email, codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. And to wrap up, um, just get into a little bit of wrestling talk before I uh, uh, end today's proceedings. Um, be sure to check out uh, this Wednesday's episode of the Codex Prime podcast. It's going to be a joint episode between us and the UWO uh, Kyle Chapman, Brian Lopes, and Eddie Ortiz. We're going to be getting into our thoughts on NXT TakeOver Toronto, which took place last night, as well as SummerSlam, which takes place tonight as well. Um, we may also get into our thoughts on the G1 Climax 29, which will be wrapping up tomorrow on Monday. Um, just to give my brief thoughts, um, earlier when the G1 started, I did predict that Kota Ibushi will win the G1 uh, this year. Now, at first, my uh, prediction felt a little shaky because he did lose his first two matches in the tournament. However, uh, uh, last just yesterday on Saturday, uh, he did defeat Kazuchika Okada to win the A block. So now Kota Ibushi once again finds himself in the G1 final. Now, it's going to be interesting to see who will ultimately make it, who will face Kota Ibushi and become the winner of the B block. Um, a lot. Some some fans some fans are leading on another Tetsuya Naito uh, versus Kota Ibushi final, which I would not mind. Although I I foresee a catastrophic neck injury if they're not careful, because if you saw uh, Kota Ibushi at Naito's previous match, I think it was during the um, 
G uh, best of the Super Juniors final, there was a spot where Naito German suplexed Kota Ibushi on the apron, and Ibushi landed right on his neck, and his body went in entirely opposite directions. So it looked like he could have easily been paralyzed right then and there. So. I just hope they don't pull out stupid shit like that in this match. If should Naito and uh, Ibushi face each other, but you know they they're all they're all about pushing that limit. But goddamn man, it is not worth putting your health and your very life at risk just to entertain the fans. I mean, these two are gifted athletes, and they don't need to be doing that type of risky bullshit. That, but that's just my opinion. But. I, I am curious to see who will win the B block as long as it's not. Jay White. Now, I don't know what IW what what New Japan sees in Jay White. On the one hand, I do understand New Japan's need to build up new stars now that the elite Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are in AEW. Uh, John Moxley is might be wrapping up his time in New Japan as well, given that he's also signed with AEW as well. Um, although I don't know if them if there's like a joint deal where he can do shows in New Japan as well, but. Uh, while he while AEW's like has their TV deal, uh, but Jay White, maybe it's because Gato is is a is a booker in New Japan, and maybe because of Gato's backing, Jay White is being pushed to the forefront. But I just don't see it. I mean, granted, Jay White's certainly not a bad wrestler, but the thing is, I would not have put the IWGP Heavyweight Championship on him at all. Like I wouldn't mind if I wouldn't mind if White was a U.S. champion or an Intercontinental champion or a never open weight champion, but the World Championship really? I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm glad that he's not the champion anymore, but I don't know. There's something missing in in Jay White that that I don't that that that's just not there. Now, unlike unlike say the UWO, I wouldn't I won't go so far as to say that Jay White is the Baron Corbin. <laughs> of new japan because jay white is actually watchable and you're not tempted to change change a channel whenever he's on tv unlike corbin but i don't know man new japan's got to give us more and perhaps you know they got to build up more stars as well i mean kenta's there and i would i would push kenta to the heavyweight championship picture long before jay white as well so but that's just one man's opinions anyway. But but do tune in uh, this coming Wednesday to hear all of our thoughts on uh, perhaps G1 as well as NXT TakeOver Toronto and SummerSlam. But that about wraps it up for this uh, this edition of Victor's Corner. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can check out all of our episodes on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and you can also check us out on Google Play. You can catch all of our live episodes of the Codex Prime podcast on Facebook Live, as well as the audio versions on SoundCloud, uh, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. And you can also email the show at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the flip. Peace out, nerds. And watch more good movies.